Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Stuff We Love podcast. If you've listened to us before, thanks for tuning in again. And if you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoy the show and subscribe. For this, our second episode, we're going to be discussing some recent news and hearing from Joe on his trip report of his journey to L.A. So let's meet the hosts. I'm Jack. I'm Scott. And I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love podcast. So let's start talking about some of the newest topics that have emerged recently. For that, let's turn to Scott. Thanks, Jack. So recently in San Diego, they held the annual Comic-Con, which was a major event, drew crowds from around the world, and some new movie trailers were revealed. We're going to be talking about Kingsman and then Justice League before we talk about some of the new Marvel films. So in terms of Kingsman, the Golden Circle trailer was released. Let's take a look. Exy, I saw in you what someone once saw in me. Something that can't be taught. The makings of a Kingsman. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. The record shows I took the rose and did it. So let's begin our discussion of the trailer. Jack, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of The Kingsman, and did you see the original? Yeah, I saw the original. I loved it because it had a perfect mix of action while still being really good quality. Um, it was a great plot, and it appealed to pretty much all audiences. The trailer looks just as cool as the first movie, and hopefully it's just as solid of, of a uh, plot. comes in contact with Channing Tatum and the uh, American version of The uh, right. Kingsman. Exactly. They're called the Statesman. Which I think is pretty cool. I, um, this, this is one of my most, you know, most anticipated movies uh, of the summer, or even though it's coming out in September. But um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I also love the first one, and uh, this looks just like more of the same, which is all I'm looking for. I think it's going to be good. The first Kingsman I saw on DVD. I didn't see it in theaters, and I was blown away by it. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. I thought the cast was awesome. I thought Colin Firth did a great job in sort of that elder figure who teaches Definitely. the pupil. Um, he was a real tough guy in the movie, which is great and not something you'd expect from him based on the characters he's previously portrayed. Um, great special effects in the original, which looks like they carry on to this one. And I looked up the name of the guy who plays the lead because I wasn't sure who he is. Taron Egerton, his name is. I thought yeah. he was absolutely amazing in it. <laughs> and... Um, Looking forward to this movie. This is a, uh, this is definitely one of my most anticipated films. And the cast is loaded for this new one too. It, it's got some great actors and actresses, so it should be really good. Yes, I think Julianne Moore's in there, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then Haley uh, Berry too. Yep, she's in there too. And of course, Channing Tatum, which is you know a big <laughs> yeah. draw for me. That's Absolutely, so. must see, must see movie. It's definitely something we're all going to be seeing and talking about a lot on this show. And now let's turn to a discussion of the new Justice tra Justice League trailer. Um, we've already watched it. We recommend you go online and see it if you haven't already. Uh, this was clearly a major topic being discussed at Comic-Con, especially in light of the success of Wonder Woman. Um, this was our first opportunity to really see some of the characters that are going to be in Justice League, like the Flash, Aquaman, and others. 
Uh, let's begin our discussion of the Justice League trailer by me asking Joe. Joe, Ben Affleck is Batman again in that film, just like Batman vs. Superman. He's staying on. What are your thoughts on Affleck as Batman? I actually uh, like this move. I, I didn't mind Ben Affleck as Batman in Batman vs. Superman. I thought he did a decent job um, with what he was given to work with, which wasn't much in that movie. And I, I actually liked, the, liked it, the choice to have him come back for one more movie, they say, even though he now is saying he wants to do another one after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, just recently, a day or two ago, they released an image of him uh, as Batman from the Justice League movie. And it's a very brooding image, which is just, in my mind, what Batman should be. Right. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be uh, an interesting choice and to see if they do anything different from Batman versus Superman, uh, which this essentially is Batman versus Wonder Woman. Right. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens in this. Who's your favorite Batman on film? That uh, that's a very tough call. I still like Michael Keaton just because that's what I remember right. uh, growing up. I mean, he's still one of my favorites. Uh, you know, everybody loves Christian Bale. He was he was good as well. But for me, it's Michael Keaton, uh, who is my favorite Batman. And then, you know, all the way back to Adam West, if you're talking about comedy and a little bit more camp, he's also uh, he's up there. He's probably my number two. And Joe, tell me what you thought about the Justice League trailer overall. Were you impressed? Were you upset by it? What, what are your t- what's your take on it? It wasn't that I was upset by it. It was what I expected for this kind of trailer. Um, you know, this is DC's version, basically, of Infinity War, where they're trying to get every character in there. And that's what the trailer did. It, it introduced people. It told you that, you know, Batman and Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, is going to work together on this, uh, whatever this is, this newly new enemy. And uh, that, that's kind of what it did. It did what it had to do. And I look forward to more trailers when it kind of you know, flushes it out a little bit. But this, to right. me, was more of a teaser, showing that Batman's in it with Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, um, Henry Cavill's back again, you know, for whatever, however long he's in the movie. I don't know. But uh, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be good. Jack, what did you think of the Justice League trailer? I thought it was uh, pretty good. I only my only complaint was I, I thought the CGI at times was pretty weak, but I know that one scene where Aquaman comes down through that building and kind of slides forward, that CGI was just and I saw people in the comments saying stuff like this too. The CGI was just not not great on that scene, didn't look too clean. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of in terms of Batman, I always loved Christian Bale. Just like Joe, I grew up with Christian Bale. He grew up with Michael Keaton, so I think Christian Bale is the the best Batman in my opinion. But I, like like Joe said, I think Ben Affleck's just he does a good enough job to be Batman. Nothing crazy good, nothing crazy bad. He's just just kind of there, if you know what I mean. But I'm excited for the movie. I think he yeah, I agree. I think he does a good enough job in these kinds of movies where it's not just Batman. It's yeah. Batman versus Superman. It's Batman, <laughs> you know, in Justice League. Yeah. But it's not a Batman movie. I think this is exactly mm-hmm. what he should be doing. This is mm-hmm. fine for him. Um, Jack, uh, something else I want to get your thoughts on. Do you think 2017 is going to be remembered as the year of Wonder Woman in light of the success of that film and how Gal Gadot has emerged on the scene as a major superstar? Definitely. She was amazing. That movie is doing so well still, and it's crazy to, to see how well it's done. The movie was great. She was the perfect casting for that role. Also, cool thing about the movie was it attracted a lot of girls I knew who weren't even big comic fans, superhero fans, to see the movie, and they loved it just because it was cool to see a uh, cool, you know, superhero like Wonder Woman. Um, We have Black Widow, but I think Wonder Woman set the bar just a little bit higher. The movie was really great, and I think people are not going to forget the success of Wonder Woman. I wouldn't be surprised if they have a lot of sequels. I don't know if anything's been announced like that, but I think Wonder Woman's going to be around for a long time. Definitely, it's going to be the highlight, one of the highlights of the year. 
I think a Wonder Woman sequel has been announced for Christmas 2019. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm not positive about that. Joe, do you know, know anything about that? Yeah, that, they've announced the date. They didn't announce anything else. Um, right. What's interesting to me is that'll be the fourth movie she'll be in as Wonder Woman, which her original contract for the three movies is up. So we'll, it'll be interesting when the conversation turns about, you know, how much money she's getting paid and what she's doing for this movie versus the other ones. Right. Um, I just looked up on Box Office Mojo, Jack, that Wonder Woman right now is the third highest grossing movie of the last 12 months. Wow. Which includes Rogue One and uh, the remake of Beauty and the Beast, which I was surprised about. Um, and then right behind them is Wonder Woman. It almost, it'll hit 400 million domestic uh, this wow. week. It's still making money. It's crazy. I saw on Twitter, although I don't know if this is true, that the studio is pushing an Oscar campaign for Wonder Woman, which as much as I like that movie, Oscar, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know where <laughs> I that I actually had, a, had this exact conversation with somebody over breakfast on Sunday, and <laughs> uh, we, we were talking about whether it was worthy of any kind of an Oscar. I, I have to agree. I don't think it's an Oscar-worthy movie, but the way that they were pushing Wonder Woman this year and, and what Jack said, a lot of people who weren't interested in superhero movies were going to see it. This, it, it I, I would not be surprised if, with the expanded you know 10-movie field for the Best Picture Oscar, uh, that it's in there. That'll be interesting. Something to look forward to. Jack, I'm now going to turn it over to you to lead our discussion on the Marvel movies discussed at Comic-Con. Sure. So there are a ton of new Marvel announcements. Now we're going to take a look first at the Thor trailer. Now I know what you're thinking. How did this happen? Well... It's a long story. Asgard is dead. Today, tell me. A contender. It's main event time. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. The plot of this newest movie is Thor is imprisoned on the other side of the universe. How he gets there, we haven't learned yet. But he finds himself in a gladiator fight with Hulk, his former ally and fellow Avenger, and his quest for survival leads him race against time to prevent the all-powerful Hela from destroying his home world and the Asgardian civilization. So, Joe, the question for you is, do you think people are getting sick of the mainstream heroes, the mainstream Avengers? You know, we saw the success of Wonder Woman because she was different. She was outside the box. Um, Do you think people are getting sick of, you know, the basic Thors, the basic Iron Mans, Hulk, stuff like that? 
I think so. I mean, I know I am. Uh, every time there's a new superhero movie announced, I'm not very excited about it until I actually can see it and decide whether I want to go see the movie or anything like that. And the reason is, you know, these same characters are in essentially every single movie that they're yeah. putting out now. Every movie that comes out is a superhero movie. So for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're when you're looking at the characters that are on the screen, it is the same characters. It is Iron Man in every one of these movies. And I understand they're trying to make that connection. You know, Thor, the same idea. They're in all the movies. And then they have their own offshoot movies. And for me, I was watching this trailer and I was I'm just not interested, honestly, in, in this movie. Nothing in this in this trailer grabbed me and it was all over the place. The fast cuts, I don't know what's going on. The only good part I liked was Hulk in the armor at the end of the trailer, and that was kind of the big reveal that they had. Um, and if that's what their big reveal is for a Thor movie, which is, is Hulk, we have a problem, and, and that's how I feel. I don't know. I, what do you guys think? Yeah, so I, I had a lot of the same thoughts in terms of the trailer. I'm a big fan of these superhero movies. I've followed pretty much all of them, and I know the, the basic plot of all these heroes pretty well, but while watching the trailer, I was like, well, what's going on here? I probably watched the trailer two or three times before I was like, okay, this is happening here. This is happening here. The because it was a little yeah. bit confusing, like you said, fast cuts, and I would have to agree. I think uh, the them just throwing the same superheroes at all the movies is is getting a little bit stale, and they kind of have a stereotypical bad guy, like how she seems to be just someone that they've created for this movie in order to be the the villain. I don't know if it's based on uh, comics or anything like that, but that's that's kind of my take on it. I'm still gonna see it. I'm not super excited based on the trailer. Yeah, I when I saw the first trailer that was released for this movie, I was excited to see it. Now on the second trailer, I lost a little bit of interest. Joe, I think you make a great point that if the big reveal in the Thor trailer relates to Hulk, there's something missing there. Mm-hmm. Out of all of the um, independent Marvel movies based on certain characters, I've had, I've enjoyed the Thor movies the least. I liked Thor one, did not like the sequel at all. It's one of my least favorite Marvel mm-hmm. films that I've seen. Uh, I will definitely see this because I see all the Marvel movies, but I'm not too excited for it. I do think Chris Hemsworth has done a very good job. I think he's a solid actor and portrays it well. I just think the scripts have been among the weakest in Marvel um, releases. And this is where they have to be careful because even though these films do well at the box office, you have to worry about superhero fatigue. And I think I've talked to several big Marvel fans who have uh, expressed frustration with recent Avengers movies and um, Avenger character movies that they're just getting a little stale and need something fresh. You know, the fresh Marvel movies that have come recently have been Logan, which was totally outside the box. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy is its own thing. Uh, so we'll see where this one goes. I was going to say, full disclosure, Scott, I was one of those people who expressed displeasure with the Marvel movies the way mm-hmm. they are. You and I have had this conversation many times. Yes. And even though Logan is a mainstream character, when you're talking about Wolverine, uh, the movie was totally different. If they were to do something even different with, with Thor or, or the Hulk or Captain America, I think it would be it would be just you know a step in the right direction rather than the same CGI movie with the same characters fighting these alien you know, super beings that come down and destroy three or four cities and then they just do yeah. it again over and over. I, right. It's just not, not what I'm looking for anymore. This seems to be a very similar plot. I don't know if it was Thor 1 or 2, but it's he loses his hammer, he's deemed unworthy, and then he has to go and become like worthy based on his own merits without the hammer. And this is the same thing, in, in at least what we've seen in the trailer. He loses his hammer, it breaks, then he's captured, and once again he's fighting without yep. his hammer on his own merits to redeem himself. 
they're recycling the same thing. And like I said, and you, you brought up a good point, Joe, they're literally just using, making up these random here, random villains to fit a stereotypical mold every single movie. So it's getting a little bit stale. Mm-hmm. One movie that is not stale, that is outside the box, is Ant-Man 2. Some new arrivals from the movie, Michelle Pfeiffer will be playing the character Janet Van Dyne, the wife of inventor Hank Pym, who's played by Michael Douglas in the original film. Van Dyne is an essential character in the Marvel lore. She was the original person to take on the Wasp, who appeared in a brief flashback sequence in the 2015 film, but in the comics she was an even more integral as a founding member of the Avengers themselves. So the plot of this one is, Ant-Man's going to be trying to balance in being a father and a superhero, and as he struggles to to balance both, He's going to be called into a new mission, one where he's going to be working with the Wasp. Joe, do you think Ant-Man 2 is going to be as successful as Ant-Man 1? I do, actually. I mean, Ant-Man was a big surprise. You know, no one expected much of that, especially with Paul Rudd in the lead role of a superhero. And I think they turned in such a good movie that the people who saw it and loved it are going to see the second one. And, you know, they might bring some other people with them as well. I do think it'll do just as well as the first one. I hope it does because I really enjoyed Ant-Man way more than I thought I would. Um, you know, this new character, which, it, as you said, Jack, it's not a new character in Marvel Comics, Van Dyne. It wasn't really mentioned uh, too much in the first movie. There, I think there was a flashback or something, and that was about it with, with the Wasp. Um, but I think they're going to expand on that a little bit. Maybe they'll even go a little bit into the uh, into the Avengers and how he starts that. I could see that happening kind of as one of those end credit scenes. Uh, and then, you know, go from there and, and just have a whole new set of movies after that. Again, these are the kind of movies I'm looking for, which is more lesser characters, but better movies, if that makes any sense. What do you think, Scott? Well, I think Ant-Man was a big success because it combined the comic touch with the traditional superhero stuff. Another thing about the original Ant-Man that I really liked and that got great reviews was the performance of his friend, Michael Pena, if you remember that. Oh my gosh, he was hysterical. Yep, he was, he was great. great in so that. There funny. was some cr- creative script writing in there. So I had a lot of respect for the Ant-Man movies. That's another example of one that was a little bit outside the box. And I think uh, Rudd has earned his status as a big box office draw. And I think the combination of that with just the character of Ant-Man is going to draw on the crowds for the sequel. So now we're going to be pivoting and talking about the Black Panther which was another huge announcement by Marvel and got a lot of praise when the trailer was played. So let's do that. Let's take a look at the trailer. Tell me something. What do you know about Wakanda? It's a third world country. Textiles, shepherds, cool outfits, all the front. Explorers have searched for it. El Dorado. They looked for it in South America. But it was in Africa the whole time. I'm the only one who's seen it. And made it out alive. Conquer and the conquerors. 
Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman, springs into action when an old enemy threatens the fate of his nation and the world. So, Scott, are you excited for this movie? I know Joe has mixed feelings on this one. I um, I have to admit, I was not familiar with this character before seeing the trailer for the film. I really like Chadwick Boseman, the actor. I thought he was great in 42, the Jackie Robinson film, in which he played Robinson. I am excited for this movie. I thought that the trailer looked good i looked a little cgi heavy to me i don't know if you guys agree with that and that's always a concern with me because i'm getting a little tired of the heavy heavy cgi stuff but it looked to be unique and have some political themes in there as well seemed to involve the united nations based on one of the scenes in the trailer Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm looking forward to this but not as much as some of the other superhero films. I just don't know enough about the character and the backstory to comment much more than that at this point. Yeah, that's that's fair, Scott. I mean, the, I'll, I'll admit, I am a big comics fan. Growing up, I had probably over a thousand comic books. Black Panther was never one of my, you know, bigger uh, collections. I never really was a fan of Black Panther. I like that they're doing the movie with him. I like Chad Mc, Chadwick Boseman as an actor. And I think it's a, one of those niche characters a little bit where um, they can really make something good here. You know, he was introduced in the Avengers movie, uh, also with the United Nations themes and, and everything. And that's really what he what his, you know, whole uh, angle is uh, as a character. Um, but I, I'm just I have mixed feelings as well. I'm not really looking forward to this movie all that much just because the trailer doesn't really excite me, even though it's a new character. It's a new movie with the, and everything. The CGI um it's just it's just one of those it's a comic book movie that doesn't really do much for me Mm -hmm. um but we'll see i'm still going to see the movie and i i'm having i have an open mind and uh you know i'm hoping i'm pleasantly surprised i actually was different than you guys i actually saw the trailer and while i'm not very familiar with um the black panther i thought he was great in civil war i enjoyed the character there and the trailer actually excited me to a degree i noticed there was a lot of uh cgi um, but it, it wasn't anything um, too much where it stood out in the Justice League trailer. I actually enjoyed the, tra- the trailer for this one, and I actually think it would be really cool what you can do in terms of the action scenes with the Black Panther. A lot more fight-based, com- you know, combat, hand-to-hand combat scenes that would be really, really cool instead of just, like, Iron Man, you know, shooting lasers at someone. I think they could do a lot of really cool action sequences like they've done with Captain America in the past, so that's something I'm excited to see. The plot looks pretty good. I liked him in Civil War. And I think, like you said, he's a great actor. So I'm excited to see this movie. That being said, this is what everyone's been waiting for, honestly. We're going to link now to Joe, who's going to be talking about his trip report. It's time for a trip report. I thought this would be a great time to introduce the trip report, seeing that we're talking about new movies. Uh, and I went to the, uh, recently I went to the, you know, the, the, the cradle of, of movie making, where it all begins, Hollywood, California. I, I was out in Los Angeles for five nights uh, about a month ago. And it was it was an excellent trip. I just wanted to, to touch on a few things that took place there. 
Uh, first of all, started with with the flight. I, I flew United. Uh, given all their our, their publicity, you know, this was my first United flight in a while. But United has a flight called Premium Service, so I booked with points. I got upgraded to the first class, which is Premium Service, and the flight was uh, excellent. The seats were great. Uh, it wasn't their Polaris product yet. Uh, that the new international first class that they announced not that long ago. Uh, but hopefully in the future, they'll, they'll make these flights that, that level. But just everything was, was perfect with the flight. I couldn't have, have you know, wished for anything more. So once I landed in L.A., um, I, we rented a car. We drove to our hotel. The hotel was the brand-new Waldorf Astoria Beverly Hills. This hotel had opened up probably a month before I checked into the hotel. Let me set the scene for you. I pull up to the front of the hotel to uh, unload the car. Five people from the hotel come out to the car and try to open the door first. If it was a training issue or what they were doing, but it's like they were, one of them was rushing to get to the car as if it was a race. Uh, This was not taking into account the six people standing in line at the valet stand waiting for their own cars, uh, who were all dressed to the nines, beautiful people. What What a crowd at this hotel. Everything was perfect, it was brand new. Uh, our room had a balcony overlooking uh, the Hollywood Hills. Nice. Uh, they say that you can see the Hollywood sign from the hotel, although I couldn't see that from my room. And I didn't see it at any point from the hotel itself. But I'm sure at some point, if you look in the right angle on the right floor, you could probably see the Hollywood sign from the hotel. How was the, hotel the room size? One of the, what's that? How was the room size? Room size was, was amazing. It was a, a standard room, uh, what they call a Beverly Hills view room. Um, probably about 600 square feet, which for this city is giant. It's like a, it's like a room in New York city. That would be a suite in New York city. This was not a suite. It was a normal room, King bed. Um, nothing, no complaints about the room. It was honestly one of the most beautiful rooms, beautiful, hard product that they say, uh, that I've seen in a long time. For all I know, I was one of the, you know, first 10 people to even be in that room since it was so new. Uh, each room had a balcony. Every room in the hotel has a balcony. Just depends on which side of the hotel you're looking at. It's actually one of the tallest buildings in Beverly Hills, uh, and it's only 12 stories tall, so it's overlooking everything. Uh, and then our room was looking out over Beverly Hills itself, where the residential areas were. You could see the mansions that were 20 or $30 million. Um, you know, not not for my people. On the other side of the hotel right next door is a Starbucks, so your coffee was there. Uh, it, I, I have no complaints about the hotel itself. The um, you know, and hopefully now that they've been open for a few months, uh, the, some of the service issues like the, uh, the rush to the valet and, and some of the information they were giving out would be fixed. I would not hesitate to stay there again. Uh, and, and I would recommend it to anybody. It's a, uh, Hilton brand hotel. So if you have their credit card or if you can use their points, uh, mm-hmm. it is a points hotel. You can get that, that what, you know, you can get, get it that way. It's no, um, it's not that exclusive, but the crowd at the hotel, let me, people were getting out of Bentleys and Ferraris 24 hours a day. Wow. Um, the hotel itself has a rooftop bar, which is one of the hot spots in LA right now. You cannot get a reservation to this bar. Um, actually, the concierge, when I went to, to, to ask him for a reservation, uh, because I was staying at the hotel and I got priority, he was saying that members of the, you know, uh, the community, uh, people who lived in Beverly Hills were trying to come to the hotel and they were being turned away 
And they were very upset by saying that they have seen this hotel being built. They should at least be able to come see the hotel and see what it is. And they were being turned away because the uh, wait for this rooftop bar was just, out, you know, months in advance. Um, wow. We ended up, we did get up to the rooftop bar. Uh, it's a it's a restaurant slash bar, and it was it was very crowded, but it was it was great. It was uh, you know they had music playing and uh, heat lamps and everything when it was a little bit chilly outside. So that was great. And then on the other side of the roof is the hotel pool, which um, since it's on the roof of the hotel, it has the same view that you get around the building, which is a 360 degree view of Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. You can see out, um, you know, the town of Los Angeles, DTLA, they call it, which is um, very far from the city for Beverly Hills where I was. Uh, and then the location of the hotel was great. It was it was probably a five minute walk, if that, uh, from Rodeo Drive. Mm -hmm. So it was right there. Um, we walked down to Rodeo Drive basically, you know, every day when we got back from sightseeing or and, and everything we wanted to do, um, which was great on its own. Rodeo Drive, everybody knows what that is. Um, right at the end of Rodeo Drive is the Beverly Wilshire Four Seasons Hotel, which is the hotel from Pretty Woman, where she stayed um, with Richard Gere's character. Julie Roberts stayed with Richard Gere. And they play that up a lot. If you walk in there, everything is pretty woman. Um, you know, people are taking pictures in the hotel, pictures of the streets. It, it was a great location. I would definitely stay there again. Uh, we stayed there for five nights. So on the first day we got in, we, we just walked around Beverly Hills. We checked out the hotel. Day two, we uh, went to the Grammy Museum. The Grammy Museum Los Angeles is uh, just what it sounds like. It's a museum run by um, the recording industry uh of America, the Grammy uh, agency. Um, and it's basically a four-story museum right in downtown Los Angeles. It's it's actually in a complex uh, that includes the Staples Center uh, where the Lakers play uh, and they have con concerts there as well. And then it includes the Los Angeles Convention Center uh, in this complex, along with probably 10 to 12 high-end restaurants, um, coffee shops, you know, all of those things that you kind of expect in a downtown city area, it's all right there. And this museum is there as well. Mm -hmm. It's four stories of music history. It was honestly one of the most amazing museums I've ever been to in my entire life. And I could probably have spent the entire day there if I wasn't being, you know, uh, uh, dragged out by a couple of people. Um, <laughs> but on the top floor of this hotel, there's exhibits, uh, there's a history of the Grammys. There's Grammys from each era because they have changed slightly. Uh, uh, you know, maybe they've changed the color slightly or just the design of the gramophone that, that makes up the Grammy award uh, just a little bit. So they have each Grammy that they've ever had. And then you walk through a room, you can press um, any button to hear any Grammy acceptance speech that you'd like and any Grammy musical performance that had been on the show, uh, which I thought was amazing. You can search back all the way to, you know, to the first, um, broadcast of the show uh, up to right up to last year, uh, which was wow. great. And they also had some exhibits of music history. There was a Michael Jackson exhibit with his outfits um, from stage. They had the thriller jacket. They had um, the famous outfit from the Smooth Criminal video. Uh, and they also had one of his military style uh, outfits from the, um, the bad tour uh, that he was on. And so they had that. They had a lot of Taylor Swift memorabilia because she's. they actually had an exhibit for her for a while back, so they still had some of that memorabilia. They had an R&B mu uh, music exhibit, which I thought was great. Um, 
basically just kind of the history of R&B and, and all the memorabilia from that, guitars and, uh, you know, BB King and, and things like that as well. Uh, and then on the other corner, they had music, uh, musical instruments set up that you can get on, you can play these instruments, you, uh, and then they would record it for you. You, you. you couldn't take it home, which I thought was short-sighted of them because I definitely would have <laughs> bought this. But you could record yourself playing on these instruments and you can move from one to another. So, for example, they had a drum set. They actually had two drum sets so two people can play at the same time. Uh, they had an electric drum set that you could press a button and it would make any kind of drum noise that you wanted. So you And it was a full setup. So I was playing on this drum set probably for 20 minutes just playing around with these buttons. <laughs> then on another uh, table, they had um, a turntable uh, that you can use to uh, scratch records like you were a DJ or a, a rapper from in the 1980s when that was you know what they were just starting to do at the time. And they had the background tracks from the Sugar Hill Gang and uh, they actually had an outcast track as well and you could scratch the records to these and then you could put it all together there was other instruments there was a keyboard um another type of keyboard so there was a, an organ type keyboard and then a regular you know piano uh so there's people on all of these musical instruments playing at the same time it was one of the most fun and funniest things i've ever <laughs> seen or done because all of these people are doing the same thing and, uh, you know, you just didn't want to leave. There was even one where someone could sing into a microphone. They had headphones on so they could hear themselves with the effects that you could put on someone's voice. You can make yourself sound good, like a good singer. But, of course, when you're singing, everybody else can hear you, too. So there was a crowd of people around, at least this one girl who was not a good singer. <laughs> but uh, I think that's why the crowd formed. And, you know, it was just one of those moments. It was, it was a great moment in the museum. Then you walk through another door and there was a, at this time, it was a special exhibit for the Monterey Pop Festival uh, from the 60s that all, you know, it was basically the other Woodstock in the 60s. Celebrating um, so its 50th anniversary this year. Absolutely. The 50th anniversary of the Monterey Pop Festival. And that's what they were celebrating at the museum. Um, so there was ticket stubs and posters, outfits that people had worn on stage. Um, that was a great exhibit. I, I spent a lot of time looking at each of those. And then there was another room with handwritten lyrics. There were handwritten lyrics uh, from anybody, not anybody you could think of, but it was just a very varied musical taste. There was handwritten lyrics from Taylor Swift. There was handwritten lyrics from um, Alan Menken. There's lyrics from all these uh, all these different artists, which I thought was very cool that they included not just popular music and you know somebody just like Taylor Swift, but other other areas that people might not be uh, too interested in or aware of even. And then uh, on another level of the, of the uh, museum, there was, it was literally a giant table. The table probably stretched, you know, maybe uh, 30, 20 to 30 yards. And it was an electric table with almost what looked like a hologram on it. It was a touch screen. And as these things went by, you know, there was these categories that just went by. They scrolled by constantly. Categories like rock and roll, emo, uh, pop music classical you could touch the category and then you could basically pick almost any song you want from those categories to play through your headphones that you had on which it was i wish i could find this table and buy it for myself because it was <laughs> i love music that much and it was just such a cool thing to have where you can just listen to any song you wanted to um that that was you know grammy related obviously not just any song but anything from grammy from the grammys or nominated or, or a winner um, and then on the on the last floor, they had a special exhibit. This 
time the special exhibit was a country music exhibit um, where they got into the history of country music. They got into, um, you know, Johnny Cash, uh, Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr., that kind of stuff. There was a ton of photographs, uh, vintage photographs and outfits. You know, Johnny Cash's black suit was there, which was unbelievable to see. Um, handwritten lyrics from Hank Williams, which I loved. Uh, just just all kinds of things like that. And then um, on the way out, there was, of course, the gift shop, which I also spent a lot of time in. <laughs> and uh, that was the museum. It, uh, if you weren't really interested in music, you can run through that museum in 15 minutes. But because somebody like me, where I, I wanted to see everything there, every outfit, whatever, uh, it was uh, just one of the greatest museums I've ever been to. I would love to go back. They also have a theater there where they have musical performances from anybody uh that wants to come in you know at, at any night they invite uh bands to come in for example the weekend is playing there next week panic at the disco is there the week before i got there uh yeah they're, they're awesome i wish i was there to see that honestly um i think taylor swift has performed there as well taylor swift has performed there and all kinds of bands if you go to their website they have the, the entire list of all the history of the people who have performed there and it's it's unbelievable. It's like watching a Grammy Awards uh, nomination list or one of those CDs where the Grammy Award nominees are. It's just all these people have performed in this little theater. Unfortunately, there was nobody performing when I was there. There was somebody, of course, there the day before and the day when I left. But mm, that's just nice. how these things go. I would love to go back and see a performance there at the, in this little, you know, intimate theater. And, of course, you can watch any performance that had ever taken place in there. So I was watching all the performances I put on Panic! at the Disco. I put on a group called the Revivalists that I've been listening to a lot lately. A um, couple of other things, you know. So it, it was just one of the greatest museums I've ever been to. Scott and Jack, you would love this museum. Um, I, I, I honestly wish I could go back with, with you just to, to walk through this and see what they have the next time. Um, cool. It was just great. And so after that, we walked out of the museum. And, of course, you got to remember you're in downtown L.A., which is what they literally call that sound. That, section of town, DTLA. And we turn to the right, and at the exact time we turn to the right, there is thousands of people, literally thousands of people, maybe 10,000 people that were not there before, waiting in line. And these people were um, dressed up in cosplay for uh, and the festival that have, was going on, the convention called the Anime Fest. At the same time that we were there was the Anime Fest, which is the world, the North America's biggest anime convention. Um, this was, I've been to a lot of conventions, a lot of conventions, and this was beyond anything I had ever seen before in my life. They had the entire courtyard in front of the Staples Center set up with a huge stage. They had, you know, gigantic blow up uh, figures, just like. You know, if it was a Nintendo convention, for example, it would blow up Mario. But for them, it was an anime blow up that was just it took over the entire canopy of the stage. Um, people dressed up in cosplay. It, it was just one of the most unbelievable things. It was essentially like Comic-Con for anime uh, lovers. And I wish I had more time to actually go into this festival, this convention. But unfortunately, the line to get in was probably 10,000 people around the building, down wow. the block all the way around Los Angeles, essentially. So I didn't have the time to wait in line. But uh, if I ever go back during this weekend, that is going to be on my list of things to look at because it, I've just never seen anything like it before, and it was great. I, I loved it. 
Um, so once that was over, you know, we walked around, we talked to some of the people in line, you know, see what they were there to see, what artists they were there to see, because it was, again, it was an anime convention. Um, they had the voice actors and everything that they wanted to, to, to meet and get their autographs and pictures with. And I completely understand. I totally get it. There my, what's that? We should do a show about our convention experiences. We have a lot of stories. That would be a great show. I, you know what? That could be a, that could be a, a, an upcoming episode very soon. An, because an eight-part the stories series. We have. <laughs> <laughs> the stories we have from conventions are great, and I wish I could add to that by, by going to this anime fest, and I will be going out at some point. Great. Um, so we left downtown L.A. We got in the car. We went back to the hotel. We had some lunch, and then we went out to Malibu, uh, made famous by the recent Miley Cyrus song of the same name. The uh, drive up to Malibu was great. It, you know, L.A. traffic is not a joke. When they talk about L.A. traffic, they mean it. And there is traffic everywhere. Uh, one of the things I didn't like about L.A. was how far apart everything is. I was not. I was a little bit surprised coming from the East Coast. When you think of cities on the East Coast, everything is very walkable. Um, you know, you can walk out. You could take a public transportation or a subway if you needed to or even a cab taxi cab to your other destination you could walk there within 20 minutes usually in this case every area of la was so far apart maybe 10 miles or so apart that you needed to drive there and even a 10 mile drive is an hour uh drive in la Mm -hmm. so it did wear on you a little bit uh when you're in the car from from area to area that was the only negative i really found with the city because i loved everything else about it um so we but we did get in the car it took us about an hour or so to drive to malibu uh, you dr- basically you drive straight down the highway until you can't go any further. That's Santa Monica, and then you make a right turn and you drive up the Pacific Coast Highway to Malibu. It's the next town up. Mm-hmm. Malibu is, I call it a town, but it's basically 20 miles long of the coast um, in California, right above Santa Monica. Right. And you're driving by all these houses that, from the street, do not look, um, do not look, you know, opulent or anything like that, but. At some point, you can see the other side of these houses that face the ocean, and I can't imagine how anybody could live there. That's probably my dream right now is to live in a house on, on the beach in Malibu because it's just like you think it is. Right. Uh, so we drove up to Malibu. They have a main pier there. At the pier um, is essentially where the Nobu Malibu restaurant is. Uh, there's a couple high-end hotels there, and you can walk down the pier um, you know, right over the ocean. There's the beach there. People were in the ocean, on the beach, just hanging out, playing around. There was a lot of surfers, just like uh, I, I hope there would be, because when you think of Malibu, California, and everything like that, I think I think of surfers and and the old TV shows from the '90s and things like that. Um, so that was great. And then we went to the Malibu Country Mart, which is across the street from this um, this pier. And anyone who's a celeb watcher knows what the Malibu Country Mart is, because there's people, you know, famous people there constantly. Um, I, I walked in the Starbucks, I walked out, and then I saw, of course, later on um, the Daily Mail that Miley Cyrus was actually in the Starbucks right after I was, uh, <laughs> nice. you know, things like that. So th- that thing was just, ha- that was just happening all the time. Uh, so that was great. That was the end of the day, uh, just because we were tired from the museum and everything. And then went back to the hotel, just, you know, had some dinner uh, at a restaurant right around the corner from the hotel, which was fine. I don't remember the name. It was just just in another place. And then the next day we got up, we we drove out to Joshua Tree National Park. This was about a two hour drive uh, from LA towards Palm Springs uh, in the desert out in uh, in Joshua Tree. 
the ride was fine. Nothing, nothing, you know, of note about it. It was very straight shot, uh, right into the desert, just like you think. The temperature went from probably 75 degrees in LA to 105, 110 degrees in Joshua Tree. It was a huge difference. So we're uh, avid hikers. We like to hike and get out of the car, and we try to go to every national park we can. You couldn't do it here. We did get out of the car. We climbed on some rocks in the in the park because they encourage you to do that. They encourage you to go walk through the paths and see the trees and and everything, um, which we did as much as we could. But the heat was just so oppressive that we didn't do that much. Um, we basically they have one road through the park. You drove around the road for a while. They have something called Skull Rock, which is a famous rock formation that looks just like a skull, um, which we stopped at for a while. People were trying to climb it and, and everything. We did climb around a little bit. We took some some paths and just took pictures, you know, enjoyed the, the park itself. It was a nice park. I, I liked it a lot. Um, and then we so had, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. Out of all the national parks that you've been to so far, what was the crowd like at Joshua Tree National Park? Was it smaller in terms of crowd size or – the same or, yes. or bigger? The crowd was minuscule. There was barely anybody in the park. Um, when I first pulled into the park, it was probably uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. We left L.A. at about 7.30 and stopped for some coffee on the way. So by the time we got there, it was about 10 o'clock. And the line to get into the park was pretty long, and I was a little concerned that there was going to be more people there than I thought there were, especially because it was a weekend. Um, but once you got in, there was nobody around. Compared to some other parks I've been to, like Yellowstone or Yosemite, or even Glacier in Montana, those cra- there were, those were crowds compared to what were here, and it might have had something to do with the heat, Scott. But even if it didn't, um, I, you know, to me, I, I preferred it to be less crowded in the park. So this was great to me. I thought it was um, maybe it was because of location where the desert is. I don't know, but it was uh, much less crowded. I'll tell you what's what's interesting was we tried to. Um, when we left the Joshua Tree Park, we tried to go to Palm Springs, which is the next town. Uh, you know, Sinatra history and, and, and you know, where all the celebrities used to summer or, or winter and have parties in Palm Springs. You know, and then the, the architecture is all about the 50s and things like that. We tried to go to Palm Springs and go up to what's called the Palm Springs Aerial Tramway. They have a tramway right in the center of Palm Springs that goes up to uh, basically the top of a mountain, Mount uh, San Jacinto in Palm Springs and it's, you're, you're starting in the desert. It probably takes you up 9,000 feet or so. We tried to get in onto this, um, I'll call it a ride, but we tried to get onto this tramway. The line to get on there was so long. The line of cars had to be about an hour wait that I, I gave up and turned around and I didn't even go on it because it was wow. so long to get into. I don't know why there were so many more people there than there were in the park itself. The only thing I can think of is because it's probably 20 degrees cooler up on top of the mountain than it is in the desert, but um, maybe that's where all the people went. I don't know. But we didn't get to do it. Uh, we were headed back to the hotel. That was a long day. It was a full day. Uh, when we got back to the hotel, that night, actually, we had reservations for a place called Asteria Moza, which is a um, very, uh, very well-known restaurant in the city. It's actually straight down Melrose Avenue, uh, made famous by Melrose Place, the uh, TV show. Uh, you go right down Melrose Avenue from the hotel, and this restaurant is um, maybe 20 minutes from Beverly Hills. So we took an Uber over there. It was one of the greatest meals I had on the whole trip and probably in the last few months. I loved it, uh, and it was incredibly crowded. But I won't tell you every course I had, but I will say that the very first course that we had was a mozzarella tasting, 
where they brought out different kinds of mozzarella for you and you got to taste each one of them and uh just that set the start of the meal it was just it was great and nice. again that was another one of those celebrity hot spots that that you always see celebrities in i didn't see anybody in there uh, that i knew although for all i know i could have been sitting next to somebody uh, and then on the way out of there we drove past uh, a new restaurant called catch la which um if you read page six at all, you'll, that's like the new place where the Kardashians go and everything. The line outside to get into that was also crazy. Um, I couldn't get a reservation there, but I'm glad I didn't go seeing the amount of people that were waiting to get in. Uh, so then we went back to the hotel and just called it a night. The next day, our, th our third full day, we um, went to a park in Los Angeles called Griffith Park. And Griffith Park, I, I want to call it like Los Angeles's version of Central Park even though it's that wouldn't be accurate. Griffith Park is essentially a huge, huge park, much bigger than, than Central Park, and it's literally mountains in the middle of the city. Um, you know, thousands of feet mountains that rise up above the city. This is where the Griffith Observatory is, uh, which is, if anyone saw La La Land, where one of the scenes was uh, shot, one of the famous scenes where they were doing a dance on the steps of the Griffith Observatory, they went into the observatory. Yep. Um, and it was a very surreal scene in the movie. Uh, it, this is where the observatory is. The Hollywood sign is in this park as well. Um, so it, it was a really, it's a really well-known park. So we went to the park and we did a hike up to the top of Mount Lee. And Mount Lee is the mountain that the Hollywood sign is attached to. Mm -hmm. So what this hike was, was you start off, it was probably about a seven mile round trip hike. You start off in Griffith Park, you're driving through a residential neighborhood where, you know, people are just living and going about their day. And there's signs all over places that you cannot get to the Hollywood Park, the Hollywood sign from here. Turn around now. Um, that's obviously not true because we figured it out. But you park along the side of the road, you walk into the park and you start this hike just in the middle of Los Angeles, essentially up the side of a mountain. It's a straight, you know, it's a straight up hike that goes all the way around Mount Lee. And you can see the Hollywood sign from different angles as you're hiking up. So there's some good views from the side, um, not from really the front, not from straight on, because to get those views, you had to be in different areas of the city, uh, Griffith Observatory or some other some other areas. But you get to the top of the mountain and then you walk around the back of the mountain. I say walk, but it, it's a while, you know, it's not an easy walk. You walk around the back of a, the mountain and you reach this radio tower at the very top and you're looking out at los angeles you can see all the, all the way to the ocean excuse me um and right in front of you is the actual hollywood sign and you're seeing it from behind mm -hmm. so you the you know you can see the whole the whole word hollywood uh it's right there there was about 30 people at the top of the of the mountain as well with us uh, everybody was taking everybody's picture it was a great hike i really enjoyed it the weather was perfect and uh even in the middle of the summer it wasn't too hot of course, we started very early, um, but just to, to be up that close to the Hollywood sign, I thought was awesome. It was, you know, it's just not a view that a lot of people get to see. And that was definitely one of the highlights of my trip. On the way down from the mountain, you get to the end of the hike, where, basically where you started, and then there's an offshoot path. And if you take that path, you hike for only another half a mile or so, and you get to something called the Bronson Caves. These caves were built out as part of a mining operation from the 20s and 30s. And over time, they've been used as the sets of certain Hollywood productions. 
they're made famous as the original Bat Caves from the Adam West TV series. When the scenes where he would run into the cave, jump into the car, and drive it out, these were filmed in the Bronson Caves in Griffith Park. And you could walk through the caves. Uh, there's um, a marker there that's you know in the shape of a bat symbol that kind of tells you that this is where this happened. And uh, it, that was just really cool, cool part of Hollywood history to be mm-hmm. able to see that. And a lot of things were actually filmed there, not just Batman, but that's what it's most famous for. Uh, so that was that was that day. I thought that was just you know another highlight of the trip and just something a lot of people might not get to see or even know that there's a hike up a mountain in the middle of Los Angeles. Um, so I highly recommend that for anybody who is up to it and can go there and make that hike and just to get behind the Hollywood sign is uh, you know just something I never thought I'd get to do and I thought it was really cool. Um, and then finally we had one more full day. Uh, and on that day, we went to the Warner Brothers Studio Tour. This was out in Burbank, uh, California, which is still within L.A. And even though it's only eight miles from Beverly Hills, still an hour drive away. Uh, but this was, again, one of the greatest tours I've ever been on. You went to the Hollywood Studios, and it's an active studio lot. So there's all of these sets from shows that are ongoing at the moment. And they take you on a tram tour through the entire uh, lot, showing you which shows filmed at which parts and which shows were still filming. At the time, uh, Pretty Little Liars, the show, uh, was filming. And they were, you know, they showed you the houses that they used. They brought you into the church that they use in the show. Anybody who watched the show. You actually went into the houses? Yes, you got to go into the houses. They, uh, They pointed out how... In these houses, the floor was fake, and they lifted it up, and it could turn into something totally different. And they said, you know, here's all the other shows that were filmed here that you never would even know uh, because it's set up for Pretty Little Liars still, even though the show had just ended. They had just finished filming. Um, so they took you around, and then they, they took you to this, this area where they filmed Jurassic Park, which looked like the jungle area in Jurassic Park. And if anyone remembers the scene with the Tyrannosaurus Rex, the T-Rex where Jeff Goldblum is saying, must go faster, must go faster. Yeah. They filmed that scene, not, you know, in any jungle area, but right there at the Warner Brothers studio lot um, on this very small road. And they were telling you about the camera tricks they used to make it seem like a very fast drive that they were doing to get away from the T-Rex. It was just really cool um, information and everything. Uh, that they were giving you on this whole tour, and the tour guys. This reminds me, Joe, if you don't mind me interrupting for a second. Yeah. Of uh, when we were, we took a trip to Universal, and they have the backlot tour there as well, where they go yep. through a lot. Of, I don't know if you've done that. They go through a lot of the studios, and it's the same stuff you see where they're filming a lot of the active TV shows. You see where they filmed a lot of past movies, and then we also got to uh, go in this um, this awesome thing, which I'm not. I'm sure uh, you you remember. You got you went onto this cart path with your cart in the middle of this giant auditorium almost, and they closed mm-hmm. all the doors. And your cart, or it's like a it's like a large jeep basically, is on the middle of the suspended rail, and they play a King Kong action scene going on around you. And it's it was probably the scariest moment of my life. It you felt like you were literally in the movie. It was crazy. But um, yeah, it, have you been to the uh, Universal uh, Backlot tour? Uh, no, but the uh, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I know people mm-hmm. who have, and I've talked about this with them, and it is a lot like that. Although the King Kong act, attraction is no no longer at the Universal Backlot Tour, it's now Fast and Furious, uh, so they have changed that a little sure. bit. Yep. Um, although I'd love to see the Fast and Furious tour, but I, from what you're saying, Jack, I think this is a lot like that. Although this is this was not um, 
this was less entertainment. There was no real rides on here. It was more of gotcha. how uh, of a movie history tour where they were showing you how they film these things. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever seen an episode of the Gilmore Girls that show on uh, the WB, um, but they basically. <laughs> Yeah, I have not seen the episode either, but they basically filmed the entire series in this place called Anytown, USA, which is what they call it there. And it's set up to to um, look like your quintessential Midwest town square. Um, every scene of that show outside was basically filmed there. And then they were showing how they could turn it into a winter scene for a movie that needed to come in or – anything else um which was really cool that's awesome and then at the end of the tour they brought you into a warehouse and in the warehouse was every batmobile they've ever used in the movies oh man and which was just it was awesome they had they even had the joker's car from suicide squad they had uh, all the other batmobiles the bat cycles uh all those that's and then finally they there was a the the last room had all of the marvel um movie costumes so they had wonder woman's costume they had uh again the joker from suicide squad they had all, all the bat uh, costumes and then on the other half of that building was all the harry potter costumes so it was just it was i would have paid just to go into that museum right there just to see all those things so it was all part of the tour so that was the end of the tour uh which again was just awesome uh at the end of that we you know you you left the studio a lot uh, and then we went to uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Of course, you have to go there. We saw the Walk of Fame, uh, the, the Man's Chinese Theater, which is now the TCL Chinese Theater. Uh, it was, you know, it was for a movie buff like us. It, it was just a great trip. I would love to go back and do it all over again. Uh, <laughs> what, it was just a great did, trip. What did you think of the um, Walk of Fame and the TLC Theater in terms of ma- maintenance and what it's like now? So that was my least favorite area of the city. To me, the Hollywood Boulevard, the Walk of Fame, um, is how I imagine some native New Yorkers talk about Times Square. They they went there once. They never want to go back there again. I'm glad that I went. I'm glad that I got to see the stars. I saw you know all a lot of stars. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I even saw Donald Trump's star. And I'm glad I went, but I don't need to go back there again. It was just like Times Square to me. The characters mm-hmm. in costume trying to get pictures, everyone coming mm-hmm. up to you trying to sell their mixtapes, just like you think <laughs> it is. Um, so I, it was, it was a dirtier, dirtier area of the city. I, it just, I didn't like that area. I was glad mm-hmm. that I was there, but I don't need to go back. I, I know what you mean. I visited the same time I was in California last summer, and um, I had the same experience outside the same experience outside the theater it was also sad so sad to see um how that area used to be the height of like movies and wealth and luxury and now there's so many closed stores on that street and it's not as nice but one thing i would definitely go back to i if i could avoid the street i would but it was the chinese theater which i thought was absolutely amazing um it was so crazy we're walking around and i thought it was crazy how there's not really a ton of um, restrictions on where you can go or what you can touch or where you can be, considering right. just how much history is in that theater. And when we when we were in there, we got a picture on the uh, crest down at the bottom of the theater by the curtains, and it was amazing. And I was pretty much overwhelmed the first time I went. I'd like to go back and see it again. But um, from 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 what you described, it sounds like you didn't 
miss uh, any opportunity to see anything. <laughs> you, you you got all of California, all of LA, and no, so I saw as much as I could. I, I actually would like to go back to the Chinese theater as well, but I don't want to go back to Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, I agree. With so that. yeah, but I I will say when I was standing there. I saw the Shrine Auditorium where they have the Academy Awards, and I, I said, I cannot believe they have the Academy Awards here. How do they even make it look like they do on TV? Because you're looking at this theater in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard, in the middle of the Walk of Fame, and it's just, it's not like you think it is. So yeah. that, that to me was the only negative part of it, but I, at least I got to see it, and I saw as much as I could. I would go back to, to L.A. in a heartbeat. I so feel Joe, like I missed so much. Joe, you give this trip a 10 out of 10? 10 out of 10. Wow. That was an amazing uh, trip report. I felt like I was there with you. Was... <laughs> yeah, I saw everything, honestly. I don't have to go. That's right. No one has to go I'm, now. I'm canceling so. my vacation. The California <laughs> Tourism Board is not going to like me after this. <laughs> no, Joe, that was uh, that was a great trip report. And yeah, one of the things our listeners should know is that trip reports are going to be a part of Stuff We Love podcast in the future. And if any of you have gone on some exciting trips, we'd love to have you on. So write into us at the email. We'll give it at the end of the show and try yeah, to see Any that. comments about a trip to LA or a trip anywhere else that you want to talk about, I'd love to hear them. This is, you know, huge interest of mine. Excellent. Well, Joe, thank you for that trip report. And uh, before we conclude today's episode, we just want to introduce a new segment called the Stuff We Love segment. This will regularly be featured on our show. As the name describes, it will give us a chance to talk about people, places, or things that are drawing our attention for all of the right reasons. So without further ado, let's start talking about some stuff we love. And let's kick it off with Jack. Let's talk about some stuff we love. So I have two things this episode that I'm really in love with. First is this acapella group named Vok Dave. Uh, they've been a group I've been listening to for almost two years now. And they're absolutely fantastic. They have around 130,000 subscribers on YouTube. They post a ton of content, but it's usually centered around a lot around Disney. They have some of the most viewed videos. I, I think one of their videos, uh, Disney Medley, with one of the singers from Pentatonix, which is another acapella group, has over 16 million views. And mm. it's them doing a cover of a bunch of different Disney songs. They are fantastic. The the composer, um, I, I forget what his name is, but um, right. James Ray or something like that um, is a genius. Their their music is so well done. They have such incredible vocal vocal ability. But instead of me trying to describe it, let's just take a listen to a couple clips. Scott, you've listened to him, right? What, what was your thought when you first heard him? Yes, Jack, thank you for introducing them to me. When I listened to them, I was blown away by their vocal arrangements. I thought that they stayed true to the original versions of the songs that we all know, but clearly gave it their own spin as well, based on how they present the songs. As a fan of Disney music, this is definitely one of the finest compilations uh, that I've heard, and you can stream their songs on all streaming services and buy them on all 
through all outlets to purchase music. And I encourage all of our fans to uh, to listen to this group. And um, I definitely have done so and I'm enjoying it very much. Next thing that I'm really enjoying is the Mighty Mug. So I picked up the Mighty Mug off of Amazon. Um, if you have a habit of wanting to drink something when you're at your computer, I mean, who doesn't, but is afraid of having it spill because it's happened to me on several occasions, the Mighty Mug's really a solution for you. I'm, I'm not an infomercial here, but I really believe in this product. Um, basically what it is, it's a mug that has a special kind of bottom where it will stick down to any surface without leaving any residue, so you can't knock it over. Um, with your arm, with most accidental taps. If you want to, you know, really hit it over, you could. But then when you go to pick it up vertically, it picks up so easily without any resistance. And like I said, it doesn't leave any residue. And there's a bunch of different versions. I got the Go Mug, but you can also get a beer can, ver uh, a beer glass version, a wine glass, um, little glasses, um, tons of cool stuff. So definitely check them out. And we are pleased to introduce that if you go to our website, www.stuffwelovepodcast.com, go to the products page, and you can see all the products that we talk about on the show, as well as products that we use and recommend. And if you purchase them through our website link, that's like I said, on the product page, not only are you getting a great product, but you're supporting the show. So please, if you are interested in any of the products we mention, make sure to check out the products page on our website. But cool. Scott, what, what, what right now are you enjoying thoroughly? Well, like we all are, I'm a big fan of music. I've been listening to music constantly this summer. Um, among the newer artists I'm a fan of is Halsey. She's been around uh, for a little bit. She just released her second album, and I was listening to the album recently, and there's this one track which really stood out. I think it's track number four on the album. It's a song called Alone. As soon as I heard it, I thought to myself, this is going to be one of my summer jams. I'm going to be playing it a lot this season. Uh, I'm a fan of classic R&B, and I see an influence of that in this song. The melody is absolutely uh, striking, and it stays with you. Halsey has a very unique vocal sound. Those of you that have heard her will know what I'm talking about. And one of the things I like about this track is that there's good use of horns on the track. I'm a fan whenever pop music is able to bring in a horn sound, whether it's the Beatles doing it on Got to Get You Into My Life or Chicago doing it in all of their songs. And this song incorporates that. Uh, the lyrics tell a good story about um, – actually, I'd like to study the lyrics and, and really try to figure out what they mean. But it sounds like someone who is searching for time to be alone but is constantly finding it difficult to do so. But that's the that's what's drawing my attention. That's the stuff I love this week, the song Alone by Halsey. Joe, how about you? And just two things I want to mention, staying on uh, the music front. I've been listening a lot to this new uh, Manchester Orchestra single called Gold. Manchester Orchestra is an indie rock band uh, from Georgia that I've been listening to probably for about 10 years now. Uh, they're just, they're an amazing band and I recommend everybody listen to them. They just put out a new CD and their new single is called Gold, which is sounds, you know, it sounds like Manchester Orchestra, but it's a different sound that they normally have. And I, I'm really liking this song and I recommend that everybody listen to it. And then just one more thing I want to mention is something called a, uh, Peak Design Capture Camera Clip. This is a company called Peak Design, and they make these clips that when you're hiking, you can clip the uh, your camera to a strap on your backpack or to your belt so that it's ready for your hands. You know, you can just pull it up. You don't have to have the camera hanging around your neck or on your back, and it's, it's right there, and this is just one of the coolest things I saw, um, and it's really helped out, and that's the kind of stuff I love this week. My dad and I actually both use it. Um, when we were in 
California. Again, we both had it on our bags, and we were able to store cameras right there. Didn't have to worry about it falling off. It's just a little clip. Slides onto any backpack sleeve, and then you can tighten it, and then it goes just like that, and you can clip your camera in and very easily and quickly take it out to take pictures. It makes it so much easier to take pictures and not have it worrying about falling over or dropping it. So definitely recommend it to anyone who has it. It's a little bit pricey, if I remember, but not too bad. This is great because I am headed off to Hershey, Pennsylvania in the next week and nice. uh, we'll be going to the theme park. So I'm going to have a backpack on me and this is definitely the type of thing I could use. So definitely great recommendation. Fits on any camera from what I've seen. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. I'd like to tell you about where you could find us on social media. You could find us on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. You can find us on Instagram. Our name is Stuff We Love Podcast. Our website is www.stuffwelovepodcast.com. Our email is stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. Please write in, tell us what you think of the show. Tell us about what stuff you're enjoying, whether or not you've been to L.A. like Joe and Jack have recently and can share your memories of that trip. And feel free to let us know topics that you'd like us to talk about, and we'll try to incorporate that on future shows. Also, please go on iTunes and leave us those five-star reviews. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, please subscribe to our podcast. You can subscribe to us through the Apple Podcast app, Overcast, Stitcher, whichever podcast app you're using. We really would appreciate those subscriptions. We have a lot of great content coming your way. So uh, I'll begin by saying thank you again for tuning in, and let's send it around the table one more time. Jack? Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this week's or this episode's content. We're going to have a lot more coming up, as well as, like we mentioned earlier, a um, tribute to the great movie ride from Disney's Hollywood Studios. So look forward to that as well. Joe? And I'll echo everybody else by saying thanks for everybody. Thanks everybody for listening to us. And uh, you know we're gonna have a lot of great future content. And I just can't wait uh, to talk about the stuff we love.